Okay, I promise. I know Kirk warned everyone that I'm, I'm a talker. I don't know where he gets that, but I've got it down. I'm, I'm not going longer than 30 minutes, so you can, should I dare to say, set your watches to that? But I do want to ask you what road you took to get you here today. And I don't mean what road did you take to get you here at West Bowl sitting in these comfy seats, but what road did you take to get you where you are right now in your life at this moment in time? Did you take easy street? Did you take a rough road? Some of us have gone, gone a lot further. This is where we travel from to get here um, in the Shrek household. Some of you are going, yeah, we know you're from another planet. Uh, but we, some of us have traveled a long distance to get where we are. And others have taken really dark, bumpy roads filled with potholes and mud. And I always admire those that have these beautiful roads of adventure in their life. And they seem to have it going so well. <laughs> Seemingly, right? <laughs> While others, this is my favorite, have traveled scary roads with danger at every turn. And if you look careful, that is a road on the end of that cliff. Some of you may have traveled long, straight roads that are filled with blue skies and easy, seemingly easy again to most of us. And some of us have had more rock slides and water dumping in our lives that have washed out part of our roads along the way. Regardless, most people will tell you don't look back. Don't look back. Keep your eyes on the future. But I'm going to challenge you today to take some time to actually look back at your life. And when you do, sometimes it's pretty amazing to see. It's always pretty amazing to see if we look back and see where God has brought us. Because when you stand on the mountaintop of where you are right now, and it may not feel like a mountaintop, except for the, the road that you've traveled might have seemed like you were climbing a mountain. But when you stand at the top and you look back, you can see where God brought you, and you can see way off in the distance. Look at the little green, lush valley that I was in at one time, and look at the pool of water that was cool and refreshing, and look at the steep cliffs and the rocks that I tripped over And you're able to see how far God has taken you and the path that he's guided you along. But most of the time, we don't stop and look back to say, look at what I've made it through. God has brought me to this point for such a time as to do his work. And so I want us to look, because when Todd asked me if I would deliver the message a couple weeks, or I guess it's been about a month ago, which you guys should really question who he brings up here. Um, But I had no idea what I was going to talk about until this morning. No, Um, until right now. But, you know, I was was just praying, you know, Lord, show me what it is that you would have me. What what message, what lesson should I bring? And I was reading in John and something, you know, how sometimes you're reading a scripture that you've read many times or you've heard it many times, and it doesn't jump out at you until God wants it to. And I was reading John 19:38, a scripture we've all at least heard, if not read many times. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one, 
for fear of the Jews. He asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Now, most of us would read that or hear that and go, so what's the big deal? The main lesson, the main message in that passage is Joseph of Arimathea, who none of us really know much about. uh, You know, we kind of skim over that. The main message here is that he came and took away the body of Jesus. But let's stop for a minute and say, wait a minute. Number one, who is Joseph of Arimathea? And number one, why? Why did he get to come and take away the body? This is a picture taken um, of Joseph. It take a second there for it to kick in for you guys. You know, it's kind of like in the in the palace and Pilate's. This was a discussion he was having with Pilate, and they had um, cameramen everywhere taking pictures. But what's interesting to me is when you look at that one passage, it said he was a follower or a loyal follower, but in secret for fear of the Jews. So we think, okay, obviously he's not a very bold person. Because he followed Jesus, but kind of as an observer from from afar. And he had fear of letting people know that he followed Jesus. But yet, how is it that he was so bold that after Jesus was killed, that he would be bold enough to go into Pilate and say, I want Jesus' body. Because that would take guts. And if he truly was following in secret, then why all of a sudden was he willing to put himself out on the limb like that? And who was this man? Why? I started thinking about, why did Joseph of Arimathea go in and get to take down the body? Why didn't Mary, Jesus' own mother, why didn't the apostles, the 12 apostles, where were they? Did they take off? Why Joseph of Arimathea? Why this person who we had not heard about up until this one piece here, why now, why this man was he put in a place where he was allowed to go before Pilate and ask for Jesus' body? First of all, a couple things to notice. Joseph of Arimathea is mentioned in all four Gospels, which it's seldom done that someone is mentioned in all four, that an event is mentioned in all four. Usually if it's mentioned in Matthew and Mark, then Luke and John leave it out. It's already been covered, kind of beating a dead horse here. We're not going there. Um, But Joseph of Arimathea, this event and this man was mentioned in all four Gospels. So, a couple other things just to know about him. He was a high counselor. He was a member of the Sanhedrin who voted. The, The Sanhedrin was the ones that voted to put Jesus to death. But we can assume that Joseph of Arimathea did not cast a vote in favor of Jesus' death because it says he was a loyal follower, but in secret. So maybe he was one of those people that they took a vote, say yay or nay, and he didn't say either. Maybe he sat quiet. But we can assume that he didn't vote for that. Another thing is that he knew Nicodemus. Now, how do we know that? Because in one of the other Gospels, it talks about he and Nicodemus went together and wrapped him in linen and expensive oils. So that also tells us, and I can tell by his hat, which I think was purchased at Saks, that he had money. (laughs) So we know, right? We know that Joseph of Arimathea had money because he also owned a tomb. It was his own tomb. So if we just look at, stand on the mountaintop and look back over some of the facts that we know about this man, we knew he had money. We knew he had connections. He was a prominent person in that society, but yet he kind of kept it secret until just such a time as this. And when you think of that, how did God prepare him? What, 
what skills, what job are we placed in? Because you look at and go, God put him in the right place. Jesus nurtured the faith of Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea together in such a way that he was preparing them to do his work at just the right time. Because let's think about this. Could Mary, Jesus' mother, have gone in and taken Jesus' body and put it in a tomb of a wealthy man? But see, God had something else that he needed done at that time. Because in Isaiah, the prophecy said he, buried, he was buried like a criminal, but in a rich man's grave. Well, if one of the apostles had come and taken his body, would he have been buried in a rich man's tomb? Maybe not. I mean, God has a way of orchestrating our lives to be exactly where we need to be, to go through exactly what we need to go through, so that we will be in the right place, on the right path, at the intersection that he needs us to be in when he wants us to do his work. I think that's interesting. (laughs) You know, how has God prepared you? What has he done to prepare you? A couple years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Israel with Todd, and there were 14 of us, I think uh, Robbie and... Who else was, um, Julie was there, and Dan, and there was, there was a Motley crew, and we kept saying there were 14 of us, Todd and 13, if we could throw one of us over, we could recreate the whole thing. Um, but on this trip, every morning we would start out, we would go out onto the lawn, and, and we would start our morning with a devotional, and one of the stories that he told and uh, it's one that really stuck with me. It was about a man named George with a boulder in his backyard. And every day, or God came down and told George, I want you to go outside and push this boulder every day until it moves across the yard. I need, it to, I need you to push it until it's across the yard. And George goes, okay. And so every day George goes outside. He's obedient. He's pushing and pushing against this boulder with all his might. It doesn't move an inch. He's pushing. He's sweating. His hands are sore. Every day for weeks it goes by. He's pushing. It never moves. One day Satan appears sitting on the boulder, adding more pressure, and says, George, hey, dude, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? George says, well, you know, God told me to push this boulder until it moved across the yard. And he's going, come on. George, 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 obviously you misunderstood. If God had wanted this boulder to be moved, wouldn't God have moved it himself? I mean, look at your scrawny guy. You can't move this boulder. George, you must have misunderstood. And George starts questioning, maybe, maybe you're right. And Satan says, come on over here in the shade. Sit down. Open a brewski. Relax. So George does. He, he stops pushing on the boulder and he goes and sits down in the shade. Well, a couple days later, God appears and says, George, what, what's, what's going on? And George says, well, you know, Lord, I, I was trying to push the boulder. It wouldn't move. And God said, George, I told you every day to come out and push the boulder. That's all I asked of you. And George says, I know, but it, it, it wasn't moving. And God said, George, let me see your biceps. Hold up your arm. So George flexes his pipes. And he says, is your bicep bigger today than it was two weeks ago? And George says, well, yeah, it is a little bigger. He says, let me see your hands, George. Show me your hands. And George holds up his fingers. He's going, look at them. And and the Lord says, do you have more calluses today than you did two weeks ago? And he says, yeah, I've got calluses and hardly any fingerprints left. And he says, George, I have something coming your way that you're going to need more muscle and more calluses to deal with. I'm preparing you 
for something that you don't even see down the road that you need to know about or that you you may not know about but you need to be prepared for so i i'm going to read something from another um gospel the gospel of frodo and uh so yeah some of you are going i know that one um, there's a scene in, in The Lord of the Rings where Sam and, and Frodo are having this discussion. And Sam says to Frodo, Taylor, let's see if I can do the accent right. <laughs> It'll sound Russian or something, I'm sure. But Sam says to Frodo, we wouldn't be here at all if we'd know more about it before we started. Okay, that's probably not his accent, but go with it. <laughs> we wouldn't be here at all if we'd known more about it before we started, but I suppose it's often that way. The brave things in the old tales and songs, Mr. Frodo, adventures, as I used to call them. I used to think that they were the things of wonderful folks in the stories, and they went out looking for them because they wanted adventure, because they were exciting and life was a bit dull, a kind of sport, you might say, but, but that's not the way of it at all. The tales that really matter, the ones that stay in our mind, folks just seem to be landed in them. Usually their paths were laid that way. You know, how many of us, if we could see the road ahead of us, or if we could read the chapter of the book of our life that God has written, if we could jump ahead and read a chapter ahead, how many of us would choose a different path than a different chapter? I mean, I always say there's a a period in my life that was very dark. The the road was very dark, and I think if I would have been able to see ahead, I would have made a U-turn, and I think our family would be in Dubuque, Iowa or something right now. Um, you know, we would have definitely gone a different path. And that, that period of time was about 1996 to 2003. Um, just a really dark, hard road time in our family. And, and not that that was the only dark, hard time in my life. I mean, there were many periods where I had the washouts and rock slides um, happening. But that was really a tough time in my life. And our son, Jacob, who's 25 now... He was at Columbine. He was a freshman that year. And it was just a really hard time. I mean, we all know that. And in 99, when he was a freshman, he was an, a great student. He was an athlete, happy-go-lucky, um, just a great kid. We had a great relationship. Uh, he played sports. He was a talker. I don't know where he got that, but he was a talker and just chatterbox at home. And after that happened... At Columbine, he shut down and ran from life and just ran. And we went through a really hard time, which many of us went through a really hard time. But he started spiraling out of control, started skipping classes. He was, he was doing drugs. He was wanting to just be out of this situation in any way he could. And it was, it was one of those periods that we just cried out to God, how can we, how can we help him? You know, what as parents can we do to help him? And by the end of his sophomore year, he was flunking almost every class. So we pulled him out of Columbine and we put him at a private school at Jim Elliott. And at the end of his junior year, I can remember the administrator calling us in the office. And she said, we don't want him back next year. I remember thinking, they can do that? We pay you. Don't you have to keep him? I thought that's what private school was about. Um, (laughs) No, they don't have to keep him. Reform school. That's what she said. This is not a reform school. We want students who want to be here. 
So I remember looking at Jacob and saying, Jake, what do you want to do? I mean, this is your high school diploma. Well, now he was so far behind in credits and, and everything else that we had to do night school and we had to take online classes and we had to do summer school and we did so much extra work that we should have two high school diplomas um, because my goal was this boy is going to graduate. And our path didn't go that way. Our path went away of a snowboarding accident his senior year when he was back at Columbine and he tore open his spleen and was in intensive care in Vail and he had more time that he missed off school and they said he's going to have to actually get his diploma in the summer if he takes more summer school classes. And I was devastated. I can remember saying, is there any way I could go across the stage and get his diploma? Um, you know, I have a great outfit and killer shoes already picked out and, and the sign that says graduate lives here. You know, how could this be? This isn't the road that we're supposed to be on. And I can remember laying in Jacob's room and crying and just saying, Lord, why? Why are we on this road? When he was in the hospital and they told us, call your pastor and call your family because we don't know that he'll make it. I can remember crying, going, Lord, why did you spare his life at Columbine that day? And now he's going to lose his life here because of a snowboarding accident? And then on other days I would cry, Lord, why did you spare his life here and here? And now he's doing drugs and we're going to lose him that way? I mean, there were so many days I would question why. Well, at home, the relationship was so hard. He didn't want to talk and I got hurt and angry because he wouldn't speak to us. And his, our relationship was just falling apart and we were losing this son of ours. And I can remember just being so frustrated because there was so much I wanted to say but couldn't say it. And the emotions were just so great. And so one day out of desperation, I went and I bought a journal. And I thought, I'm going to write down everything I want to say to him just so that he can know. And I, gave, I left this journal on his bed and I thought he'll probably read it and throw it away. And a week went by and I didn't see it and I thought I'm sure he threw it away. And I came home one day and it was on our dresser. And I thought, okay, he must have been cleaning his room and just pitched it in there. And I walked over and opened it, and he had written pages in this journal about how much he loved us and how sorry he was and how he wanted things to be different and asking for forgiveness. And that, that year, that final part of our chapter when he was still at home was us writing in this journal, trying to heal a relationship, um, and it worked. Now, I tell you this. Because I say, you know, God brings us through things, parts in our life and parts of our road that we don't like, but he's preparing us. See, that was the boulder that God was telling me, push this boulder, because there's something I need you to do later. You won't know right now, but push the boulder. I didn't like pushing the boulder, and it was really hard pushing the boulder, and I saw no progress pushing the boulder. But I kept pushing the boulder because I had no other choice. What else do you do but push the boulder? Well, you know, then God takes the story that he brings you through, and then he says, okay, let me look at the skills I've given you. Well, I was born a speaker. <laughs> that was me in the womb. I was born a speaker. Most people go, I, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you get up and speak in front of I've never been afraid to get up and speak in front of people. Um, God gave me this gift, and I keep t telling my family it is a gift. And, uh, but you know, God has given me the gift and, and 15 years ago, you know, Kirk and I started a training, a corporate training business. So I look at it and there were times when I'm going, okay, I'm using my skills and I'm going out and teaching presentation skills or I'm teaching communication skills, but what's the purpose? You know, you come to a point in your life and you start, you start questioning, you know, Lord, why, where am I? What have you prepared me for? 
you know, sure, I can speak and go and do a communications class. And some of you, I love it. In this church, we have some tech-savvy people because we're all on Twitter and, and Facebook and all these things. And, and I talk about technology a lot. And so I laugh and go, you know, this is great, but what's the point? What's the purpose? And there were times I thought, Lord, you prepared me for what? What skills do I have that's, that's helping your kingdom or your message? And, and there was a time when Kirk and I actually thought, you know what, let's close down the business and let's go into ministry full time. And we went down and actually met with the people at Focus on the Family. And we wanted to get into marriage ministry. And we wanted to work with uh, married couples who were struggling. And, and this was what we thought, this is, this is purpose. And I can remember the day we were there sitting in the office and the guy in HR at Focus, he said, there's a video I want to show you. Kirk and I were like, all right. And he said, come in my office. And he brought all these chairs and he puts this video in. He says, have you ever seen any of the lessons from the promised land from Ray Vanderlaan? We had never heard of him to that point. Which, by the way, Ray, Ray Vanderlaan's seed, the, the video cassette, led us to know about Lessons from the Promised Land, the stories over in Israel, which led us to getting to know Todd, which, I mean, God has the path laid. So he puts this video in, and the video, the lesson from the promised land, was that of the standing stones. When the Israelites crossed the Jordan River, God told them, bring a stone, one for each tribe, and stand it up. You stand the stone in the middle of the field. You don't put a plaque on it. You don't describe what it is. You stand the stone there so that when people come by generations from now, they're going to stop and they're going to say, what is the story of these stones? Tell me what your God has done. So he showed us this video, and Kirk and I looked at each other like, what does that mean? We were clueless. He gave us the video. He said, I want you to take this video home with you. We go, okay, we will. <laughs> and we brought it home. We watched it again going, what was that about? And all of a sudden it dawned on us, huh, maybe we're all standing stones in a corporate world. Maybe when I'm out there talking to people about communication, somehow that people will come up and say, tell me about your God, what he's done in your life. Well, that very week, confirmation came from the Lord because that very week, and I called Kirk so excited, I was in Florida doing a class on communication at a corporate environment at AT&T, and this guy comes up after him and says, um, I want to talk to you. He waits till everybody leaves. Um, I'm struggling in my marriage. And something you said about communication... Um, just struck me, and I, I'd like to talk to you. For such a time as this, God prepares us. A month later, I was in Phoenix, and a woman said, after a class, she waited behind, and she said, I'm really struggling with my teenage son. I feel like I'm losing him to drugs. We don't even talk anymore. What do you think I told her to go buy? A journal. Yeah. I mean, things that happen in our lives and we think it's meaningless or, Lord, this is just something I'm struggling through. This is a boulder I'm having to push and I don't understand it. God says, I'm preparing you for an intersection that you're going to come to two years from now, ten years from now. And I'm going to need you to have this experience. And we don't like going through the experience, but we have to go through the experience so that when we get to that intersection, we know how to respond to be the hands, the feet, the message that God would have us bring. And I look at that and I say, Lord, you prepared us for work that you have done. But sometimes we don't get it, do we? 
sometimes we stand there and say, Lord, what? I, my life's been really boring. I wish I could say that. Um, <laughs> that's one thing I always say. Okay, my life has never been boring. Um, but what has God prepared you for? What skills has he given you? And what experiences has he taken you through? If you stand and look back at your life right now, look down the mountain. Look at how far you've come. And if you're young, young kids have gone through a lot. Kids, I say kids, sorry. That means I'm old, isn't it? When I start looking at people who are 18, 19 and call them kids, um, it's like when I go to orthodontist and I go, that's a kid working on my daughter. He's like, what is he, 12? Oh, no, he's 30. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm old. Um, but, you know, even though your life, your, your road might have been short so far, um, some of you have gone through amazing experiences already that God has prepared you to work with other young kids or young people. See, young kids, like four, you know, fourth graders. Um, I mean, our youth group, what I love, and that's what brought us to this church, was our son's experience at Columbine. We were going to Colorado Community, which didn't have a big youth group. And we needed to find a place that we could try to get him plugged in. And so Kirk and I were really plugged in at Colorado Community. And we left that church because we felt like God needs us to move somewhere where we can plug him in. And we came here. Jacob never did plug in here. But we did. And then Taylor and Bailey are here. And they're plugged in. And I look at it and say, I'm so grateful for our youth leaders. Um, I mean, I don't know if any of you have high school and junior highs, but... First of all, it takes a crazy person to work with that age. No, just teasing. Um, but the, the amount of love that they pour into the lives of our youth is a huge blessing to parents who come here and say, I just need my kids to see other kids who can show them that the road, it might be hard, but let's go together and let's, let's travel this, this road together growing up and forming these great relationships. And I'm so grateful for the work that our youth does our youth program um, yeah that's the part that you guys are supposed to applause yeah um, you're a bigger blessing than you might know and and those of you who are not yet in a leadership position watch the leaders because god is preparing you for an intersection in the road that he's going to need you to do something for him and his kingdom, for his work, and you're going to be the hands, and you're going to be the feet, and you're going to be the message. And those of us who have traveled longer roads, you know, maybe we've ignored those intersections, and maybe we've been running from the road that God wanted us, but um, stop this week and just reflect at how far God has taken you and the experiences he's given you and the training he's given you, and, and be open to being used like Joseph of Arimathea for just such a time as this. Let's close in prayer. Father, you are just so awesome. You've written our stories. You've placed us on these roads. Lord, you've placed us on roads that you need us to be so we can interact with those that, that you need us to meet. Lord, help us. Not to question why. Why do we have to go through this? Why am I in this hard place, Lord? Why do you want me to push this boulder? But Lord, show us how, the, how you can use our journey to further your kingdom. Go with us this week, Lord, on the roads that we're going to travel. 
Remind us, Father, that you've prepared each and every one of us for just such a time as this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.